our communion meditation is in Psalm 32, and I'll talk about verse 7, but uh, I first wanted to uh, begin, before I read, read, I just wanted to begin with an introduction to the text, because I'm going to actually read uh, verses 1 through 7 again, but I want you to focus on something that I'm going to ask you to consider. Uh, David, I believe, began Psalm 32 by speaking to us to the people to whom he was writing this psalm. And yet, as he wrote, he gets to verse 4 and he begins to address it to God. But yet it's apparent that he's still speaking to us. You know, it's just as I read it, I think you'll see this. And yet, I mentioned last week that in verse 6, he urges prayer. And then in verse 7, today, he prays just to God. And so I want you to, to focus on that as I read verses 1 through 7. And I think you'll see what, what I mean. A Psalm of David, a contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old, through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely, in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Now, hopefully you can see how by degree David entered more and more into God's presence. To where by verse 7, after he told us to pray, he's praying. And he's essentially showing us how to pray. What we should do in prayer. And so I want to talk about each of the phrases that he uses in verse 7. And so those phrases are, you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble, and you shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Mm. Now, why do people hide? And what are we hiding from? Let me give you a personal illustration. Two weeks ago, Sunday afternoon, I'm napping deeply, and I hear my doorbell ring. I'm on my bed, and I'm dead. I mean, I'm just, uh, my body doesn't want to move. I'm going to ignore that person who's tried, probably trying to sell me magazines on a Sunday afternoon. About, I don't know how long later, because I went back to sleep. But later, I've migrated now. I'm sleeping on my downstairs couch because the upstairs was getting warm. I'm still sleeping, though. I'm, I'm on my couch. Doorbell rings again. I'm like, mm. I'm going to ignore it again. But unbeknownst to me, my son Mike is wide awake. So he runs down, opens the door, and there's Mr. Shepherd. He wanted to, he wanted to swing by and drop off a key. Now, I do not blame Mr. Shepherd for ringing my doorbell and waking me up out of his sleep. But I was hiding. I was being very unneighborly. And how often, when your doorbell has rang, has it been someone that you know? It's almost always some stranger. It's anymore also when I get a phone call. It's nobody I know. It's somebody that I don't want to talk to. And so it's, I'm, I'm becoming very unneighborly in my manner in, at home and on the phone. Now, I was hiding, but that's not the hiding that we're talking of. I just wanted to give you an illustration, though, of why we hide. Have any of us hidden? I mean, if you have, you know it. it it's visceral. It's affected you. 
If you've actually hidden from a criminal or hidden from somebody that wants to hurt you, you'd remember it. It would be a story you've probably told many times. And yet, so few of us have really had to do that. We've watched plenty of shows, read plenty of books where other people have done that. And here we're reading a book. And David is talking about hiding. And he says, you are my hiding place. So see, that, what does that bring to mind to you? Well, of course, for me, it brings to, to mind that song. And I've been, ever since I've been meditating on this, that's been in my head. You are my hiding place. I, I just can't help but be humming it as I'm reflecting on this text. But the next thing that came to my mind was the book, The Hiding Place, by Cory Ten Boom. And so you know that this was a double entendre, really. Because when this book was written, she'd already been out of this uh, harm's way for almost 25 years. And a couple came to her and said, Corey, we'd like to help tell your story. She had written a book already that was very popular, but they felt they could tell it in a more uh, more a pressing way. And they did. I think it's a great book. If you haven't read it, you must. So this book, though, told the story of them hiding people in their home in what they called the Baye home in uh, Harlem, uh, uh, Netherlands. But so that is hiding. Those people were hiding for their lives. And that's what David's referring to. You are my hiding place. So he was hiding at times from Saul, from imminent death. He and 500 of his closest friends. I mean, can you imagine being responsible for hiding not only yourself, but 500 people? I mean, it's phenomenal. How can you hide that many people? I mean, Israel, I've never been there, but it must be just filled with caves and holes where all these people could hide. So now, he says next, you shall preserve me from trouble. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. Now, I have a question. When is someone defeated? I'm not talking about a sports team like yesterday. You know when the timer counts down based on the score, who's won and who's lost. I'm talking about in life. How do you see someone who's defeated in life? What makes them defeated? What's the definition? It's typically when they've quit fighting, when they've given up. They no longer aspire to do something or achieve something that they'd had as a life's goal. That is a bitter pill to swallow. And there are some incredible stalwart people that just never swallow that pill. They just fight and fight and fight and fight and fight. And they never give up. They obey Winston Churchill's admonition to that graduating class. He got up and he said three sentences. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. And then he sat down. That was his commencement address. So see, that is to not admit defeat. And that is what David did. You shall preserve me from trouble. And see, he relied upon God to preserve him from trouble. Does that mean he didn't experience trouble? Of course not. He experienced a lot of trouble. And so, uh, Corrie ten Boom experienced a lot of trouble too. We know the uh, issues she went through in, during the Second World War. We know the issues that she went through to forgive people immediately after. I think all of us are familiar with that. But I want to share one more thing with you that most of you might not know. Did you know what she struggled with the last five years of her life? You see, she had been what she ter herself termed a tramp for the Lord. She tramped over 60 countries in a like 25, 26 year period. 
And she took this book, The Hiding Place, that was very popular, and she admitted it was extremely well written, and it told the story well. And she gave away thousands of those books for free as she's traveled the world. She would just be very bold. She, she would talk to one uh, a person who's carrying her baggages through the airport, and she says, I'll bet you know this airport really well. Okay. Yes, I do. Do you know how to get to heaven? <laughs> it's just, you know, that's, a, that's quite a jump. But yet, she's just that bold. And then she'd be signing her book and giving it to him. Read this book. Read my story. And that was one of the three visions that her sister Betsy had had in Ravensbrook. She had had a vision that they would found a, 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 a home in their homeland, Holland, in order to uh, preach forgiveness, forgiveness of the, of the Nazis. And, and they did that. They founded a home in Germany that preached forgiveness of the Germans, and they did that. And then the third one was tell our story. Tell what God did here in this prison camp. And so that's what she did for the rest of this time. She basically fulfilled her sister's dream, who had died at Ravensbrück. The last five years of her life were different. She'd bought a home in 77 in the L.A. area to just basically be a pit stop, to rest. And at this time, she's 80, 86 years old. And, you know, she if anybody's deserved a rest, I guess she did. But she was still going strong. She wrote several books and made five films in the next two years. But she suffered a stroke. One morning she woke up and she couldn't move. She just could not move. All she could do was open her eyes. And she thankfully had a woman that was living with her. The third helper that she'd gone through over her course of uh, wearing them out, essentially, they all abandoned her and married uh, men so they could lead a much less uh, uh, busy life. Uh, but here she was, and she suffered this stroke, and it's so debilitating. And here she is, is this person who's on fire for God, and yet all she could do is blink. Now, the next five years, her strength would come. She would get some speech back. She would get some abilities back, and then she'd have another stroke. So, see, the last five years of her life were spent like this. Just, And she just said, why, God? Why is this happening? Why are you doing this to me? Why don't you just let me come home? And she had to work through feelings, intense feelings of self-pity during that period of her life. She just wanted to go home. She didn't want to have to endure what she was enduring. And yet she did. And she would turn it around to always be glorifying God, despite what she herself was going through. And so she told one story of a woman who she visited during her travels earlier in her life. And uh, this woman was Lithuanian. And so she was in Lithuania while it was under communist control. And so, you know, any overt religion was frowned upon, to say the least. But so this woman suffered from multiple sclerosis. And she could barely do anything. But her husband, before he had to go off and do other things, would set her up with a bunch of pillows at a typewriter, and she would translate the Bible into Russian, Lithuanian, and Latvian. Using her one finger, it worked, that she had control over. So see, Corey had these stories to look back on. I mean, she could look back on these people that she'd come into contact with and realized that she had nothing to complain about. God was using her. And God continued to use her right up until the end. And so you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. So these are the three thoughts in verse 7. And I want to read to you uh, 
three verses from Psalm 27, because this one verse in Psalm 32 is really amplified and expanded upon in Psalm 27. And I'll read verses 4 through 6. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. If you meditate on those three verses, they are this amplified, fully filled out version of what we've just gone through in verse 7 of, of Psalm 32. So, verse 4 starts with the words, One thing have I desired. Have you ever thought about what one thing you can have from God? What would that one thing be? If he were to give you one and only thing, instead of us going to him with lists and lists and lists of things that we would like him to do for us, what is the one thing? What is it that David said the one thing was? One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So see, David had collapsed his wish list down to just one thing, and that is to be in God's presence. Do you want to be in God's presence to that extent? In verse 6 he said, My head shall be lifted up. My head shall be lifted up. Now this is in honor. This is not lifting up his head on some pike and putting it outside the gate. This is lifting him up in honor. And that's exactly what this says. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. God delivers us from our enemies. And God delivered him from his enemies, which led him to offering sacrifices of joy. He lived joyfully because he knew that God would deliver him. Even if not in some ultimate battle where he died, he knew he had this ultimate deliverance awaiting him. So God let David struggle through many earthly struggles, and he let Cory ten Boom struggle through many earthly struggles. And these stories are not meant to minimize your struggles, to minimize my struggles. Our struggles are real. Sure, they're relative to what these people have gone through, but they're real to us. They affect us. And so they are simply meant, however, to put the, their struggles in perspective, to put our struggles in perspective. God, even with what Corey had done, she was never to rest on her laurels. Never, even in her bed. God is exacting every ounce of her soul. And yet he says, hey, that's what I do. That's the business I'm in. And so many of us want to think, oh, no, no, I, I did that a year ago. I don't have to do that now. I'm done. I'm retired. No, no retiring. God is going to go to push you further and further and further. You will never go far enough on this earth. So don't think that you have arrived. You haven't. None of us have. None of us will. Your, your timer, like in a sports game, what I used earlier, in a sports game, the timer ticks down, right? Boom, 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 boom. Game's over. Someone won or lost. What's your timer? God has given us all timers. So see, your timer isn't done yet. You haven't lost or won until your timer gives out. 
So when your timer gives out, then you're free to quit, right? Not that you have a choice in the matter at that point. But now we come to the table to celebrate life. We come here to celebrate joy. God is our hiding place. God is our joy. So, so please come, partake of the elements, and experience God's joy in your life. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your forgiveness. And we pray, Father, that we would be truly, truly uh, thankful and appreciative for what you've done. And yet, none of this absolves us of the responsibility of continuing to serve you with all of our life, all of our so all of the breath that we have in us, all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so we pray, Lord, that you would uh, fill us with a desire to please you in all things, that you would grant us to overcome the obstacles of life that seek to suck away our joy. And we pray, Lord, that you would have us to fight and fight and fight until the end. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.